Pat Reardon, you're an Irish Jesuit. You live and work in Britain. You lecture in Haythrop College in political science. Your reaction today to the Brexit result? I'm shattered, very disappointed. Uh, Why am I so disappointed? Well, I would have wished that the vote would have been remain because I am committed to the values that are articulated in the European Union. Uh, And this is where I think the great disappointment is to be felt. Why are people pulling back from togetherness, from cooperation? It's never easy. It's never a thing that can be easily done. It has to be worked at. And the institutions we put in place, they become ambivalent and ambiguous. People use them to just pursue their own career, their own power, and so on. But they have a purpose and a function, and without them, we really are in jeopardy. Let me just uh, point out a few of the things that really disappoint me. The Northern Ireland situation. Northern Ireland has voted in favour of Remain. Again, a very small margin in favour of Remain. But this indicates that that area of the United Kingdom is out of sync with the, uh, the whole of the United Kingdom. Again, the Scottish situation is going to be interesting, as we know. Will Scotland push for a breakup of the, of the United Kingdom? There is a real shattering of union, not just in European Union, but in United Kingdom. Why is union so important? We're more and more in a world of interdependence. We affect each other. We make an impact on each other. It's not just in the economy, it's in our thought, it's in the, the styles of life that we cultivate and facilitate. This impacts, as we know, on each other. So we have to work together to manage that. And it's often conflicted. You know, there are different interests, different interest groups. How we manage our conflict is so fundamental to being political. Because politics is based on the commitment to manage our conflict without resorting to violence, to force, to the domination by the powerful of the weaker. Now, that's the vision and the inspiration that was behind the European Union. And I think it's also been the vision and the inspiration behind the Belfast Agreement and the realization that people have had. We are in conflict. We've got different visions of how we want to live our lives. But how do we manage that conflict? It has to be by talking, by negotiating, by working together, fighting it out, but with words, not with weapons. Now, that's where I really am disappointed by what has happened. Is there a way in which the EU itself, though, has to bear a responsibility, perhaps? Because you mention about the the founding vision of the founding fathers and without weapons, Hmm. following on from the horrors of World War II. Hmm. And yet... It has become, in terms of the EU, a sort of a fortress Europe, mm. increasingly militarised, and with a, an economic policy that has created some of the conditions that I would think maybe some of the people who voted were suffering under, namely bad housing, unemployment, and not getting their fair share of the cake, and then feeling that the migrants who were coming in mm. were in competition with them and that were taking what little of the pie they had left. Yes, all of those points are relevant. But I think there's been a big lie behind this. One of the reasons why the European Union has been, well, a failure in some respects, or has been weak, is because the United Kingdom did not participate as a full partner. Had the United Kingdom contributed from its wisdom, not necessarily by buying into the euro, but from its wisdom of 
running its own currency, for instance, and having a successful worldwide currency that has survived despite the political weakening of the United Kingdom. Had the United Kingdom contributed out of its experience and wisdom to helping the euro to become a viable currency and providing for the, 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 the dangers that, that existed and not having a coordinated political uh, management of the, of the currency. I think we wouldn't have faced the same sorts of crises as, as we've seen with, with Greece and, and the southern European states. Let me, let me just bring in the, the idea from um, John Stuart Mill. I mean, he, Mill has the great defense of liberty, but he says for liberty we have to have a concern that we work to protect it. And that means we have to have open debate. We have to have discussions, even about things we know and take for granted and that we value. But if we don't continue to examine and debate and, and discuss and criticize and challenge the things that we hold to be true and to be right, we will lose them. So use it or lose it. What we're seeing, not just in Europe, but also in the United States, is a disintegration of a commitment to politics. This polarization in the United States, where the two main parties Although they know in their hearts that the way the American political system works is that they have to do deals. They have to come together and come to some kind of a compromise, do a deal, and work it out. But more and more, they are polarizing. And more and more, they're polarizing into the sorts of candidates that we see now campaigning for the presidency of the United States. I think we have failed in the Western democratic world to invest in cultivating the valuing of these fundamental uh, values that are at the heart of the European Union or at, at the heart of the American uh, democratic system. We haven't strengthened them, rooted them in people's hearts and people's basic fundamental convictions and commitments. And that's what Jefferson said, Jefferson, that if the freedom is not rooted in the personal characters and commitments of individual Americans, it will not survive. Now, I think that has been the failure in the European Union as well. We did have the founding generation who articulated well what it was all about. But more and more, it has uh, not been fostered by the political elites, by the political culture, helping people to understand how important this is and why it is so important. And looking ahead, I have this terrible dread. I mean, just imagine this scenario. The United Kingdom has left the European Union. Mm -hmm. It is going to leave it. Now, it might be the case that other states will say, well, it can be done, so let's do it now. We'll go our own way. Hungary. Denmark are probably very worried today. Yes, yes, there are other countries that might think of doing it. So the European Union will be possibly very weakened by this. At the same time, imagine Donald Trump is elected president in the United States. What impact is that going to have on the whole culture of the United States? I can see it having... Uh, in some sense, a strengthening of the United States, but a strengthening in isolationism. Now, in this scenario where the United States in international affairs is weakened, where the European Union is weakened, and where we have a resurgent Russia that is more and more aggressive, what is that going to lead to? I mean, President Putin is a man we know who is prepared to take risks, and he's prepared to be aggressive and violent. And with the weakening of these major democratic traditional bodies, the blocs, the European Union and the United States of America, God knows what is going to happen. That is why I really am worried about the, the, the Brexit decision that has been taken today. Why do you think the people did vote that way? Do you accept, as is generally said, that it was about 
migrants, uh, it was about immigrants and, the, the, and stopping the flow, mm -hmm. and it was also about people, as you say, disaffected at the bottom, as in America, from a sense of politics that meant anything to them. The, and so it was a, 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 a reaction to that as well. Yes, I think though there's been a demonizing of, of migrants. The responsibility for the, the cutback in social welfare, the austerity programs that have really bitten into people's lively, well-being and livelihoods, the responsibility for that is with the British government isn't it? and the policies they have pursued. Now, they might well have been the right policies. That's not the point I'm making here. But it is not the fault of the migrants, and it's not the fault of the European Union that that is the case. The British government has had its opportunities. Uh, which it has exercised in one particular way. And it has been a great convenience for them always to be able to blame others. In fact, migration in the, in the United Kingdom is of benefit to the United Kingdom. As people have said, countering all of this demonizing that has gone on in the campaigning, in hospitals, in, in A&D departments, the migrants are people offering the service. They're not the people queuing up. Now, obviously, there are localities, and this is undeniable, there are localities where, and this is true in Ireland as well, we know, where schools have a very difficult challenge because many, are, many migrant families are concentrated in one particular area, which means teachers are having to deal with a class where maybe 5-10% of the children have English as their mother tongue. And that is a real challenge. You know, there are... Uh, questions that have to be addressed. But I think the tragedy has been that the, the cutbacks and austerity have bitten into the provision of resources that would be needed to address those questions. That's the kind of commitment that you would need in terms of a broader vision of what an EU is and what a society is. And it's what you said was absent even in the debate uh, leading up to this referendum. Yes. It was very narrow in its focus. Yes, it's been very narrow in the focus. What is best for Britain, you know, and always best in economic terms. And the only, I suppose, the only real uh, other political theme that came up was about uh, sovereignty, about making our own decisions about our own life. But as I was saying a bit earlier, we're working and living in an interdependent world. We can never just make decisions for ourselves because our decisions always have an impact on others and that also would be part of the responsibility that is to be exercised by a political community. How does our decision impact others and affect them? Now there is a valid question to be asked about the democratic deficit in the European Union. But you know there's a democratic deficit in the United Kingdom as well. David Cameron, I saw on the television this morning, making his announcement outside uh, number 10, he is going to resign. But now, it's ultimately going to be the Conservative Party which will decide who will be the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. First of all, the Parliamentary Party will select two candidates, and then those two candidates would be offered to the Conservative Party members in the country. 150,000. 150,000 people will decide who will be the next uh, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. And now, of course, if that went 52-48 as well, it's going to be half of them, you know, 75, 76,000. It's the swing vote in the middle, perhaps, that will decide it. Is there not a democratic deficit there? I think it's part of the problem of democratic institutions always that we have to work through representatives. 
because direct democracy is not possible, except in very small groups. We have to work through representative structures and systems. However, in our minds, we carry with us the ideal of direct democracy. So we're having to support institutions of representative democracy within our minds, the ideal of direct democracy. And that's where we're always caught in attention. And it's always possible then to complain about our representative democratic structures, that they are not true democracy, because they're not doing what we want them to do. We being the people who actually happen to be talking to one another just at this moment, and not the whole community of those who are concerned and who are affected by our decisions. So that leaves us with really what we're saying, a deficit of broader political vision for the common good. And that is playing itself out now in Brexit, it's playing itself out in America, that alienation of people from a political process, quite worrying because that kind of alienation is what fuels fascist ideologies. And we saw Joe Cox being murdered, and we know what the guy who murdered her shouted, given whatever his mental state, it was, and that's where he aligned himself on the extreme right. We have Nigel Farage on a one-issue campaign in this whole referendum, and we have the utterances of Donald Trump in America. Not a lot of cause for hope here. All the more reason then for those of us who are involved in education, in publishing, in communicating, to remind people that what we have to work at is understanding the very values that have sustained what we have achieved to date. If we don't use it, we will lose it. If we don't keep articulating it and explaining it and formulating that vision, it will be lost. And that loss would be disastrous for humankind. Do you think that the EU and its members at the higher echelons, do you think this will be a wake-up call to them to say, look, what is going on here in in an open way? Or are they going to want to punish Britain because they don't want other countries, particularly, as we've mentioned earlier, to say, hmm, I wouldn't mind taking a leave of absence myself? You know, the European Union is very resilient and it has been extraordinary looking over its history to to see how it has bounced between ideals and doing deals. I mean, the ideals of the European Union are very elevated and they're wonderful. But it is politics and in politics we're managing conflict and conflict means that our interests are not all the same. Germany has its interests, Greece has its interests, the same with Portugal and Ireland and Spain and so on. We have different interests, but just look at any of the common agricultural policy, fisheries policy, they are controverted. Now, uh, how do we deal with, how do we manage that conflict? It has to be a matter of coming to some kind of a deal. And deals are compromises. in every deal, somebody will be disappointed. And usually somebody on, on, on both sides or on all sides will be disappointed. But that is what has been, I suppose, the achievement of the European Union to date, that it has been sustained by high ideals, which, as I'm warning, we are, in danger, we are likely to forget. But it has been sustained by high ideals, but managed to survive by doing deals. Now, I think the European Union will have the resilience to cope with Britain uh, leaving. But it can't be denied, it will be weakened. The European Union will be weakened. And we do need in the European Union a balancing of the great power that is represented by Germany. And the United Kingdom has been really the only significant player that can offer that balancing. I mean, France is in a, a dreadful situation at the moment as well. But France 
has had to be, because of their history, France has had to be, as it were, an intimate partner of Germany and never simply the countervailing power. The United Kingdom can have been the countervailing power. But unfortunately, it has not sufficiently played that role within Europe. I mean, one of the fascinating and amazing things in Britain is the way in which the European Convention of Human Rights was created because of Winston Churchill's commitment. And human rights has, has been, from John Locke onwards, has been a great contribution of British political culture to the world. But yet, so many in Britain, so many people in the political elite, speak of the European Convention of Human Rights and then the judgments of the European Court of Human Rights as if they were oppressive, autocratic tyranny. You know, and it, it's just shocking. <laughs> Don't they understand? And that's a question I think many people are asking today yeah. on this. I know you are de- disappointed deeply, mm. as you've said. And were you surprised? Did you think it would come to this? I knew it was going to be close. And yesterday, already, I was saying to people, because it's going to be close, I'm sure it will be a remain. Because I'm taught, you know, people will will have that anxiety. What are we facing into if we leave? So I really was surprised. Final word then, I know you've been at this conference here in Ireland, uh, three days on church, the role of church in state, good riddance, good influence. And indeed, some of the issues and questions that have come up tangentially relate to that, how to cope with pluralism, how to deal with difference, how to work as a unity. Um, Any hope you're taking away from... No, it's uh, been a wonderful conference. I've wonderful conference. I've loads of hope. And a couple of hundred people over three days listening to fantastic presentations from a wide range of disciplines uh, from different parts of the world as well. Just the willingness of people to engage in reflection, in discussion of the kinds of questions that arise for us, how to be church in a pluralist society. The commitment to thinking it out is so impressive. It gives me loads of hope. And the hunger that people have for this kind of engagement is extraordinary. And there's no doubt about it, that hunger is there. So I think the Loyola Institute and other bodies like ourselves in London who are involved in education, especially in theological education, we must do more to give people access to these kinds of conversations because the same thing applies to the questions for the church as apply to Uh, the European Union. If we don't use it, we will lose it. If we don't articulate and practice the the ideals, the values we espouse and, and try and make sense of them, they will evaporate. We'll still have the words liberty, equality, justice. We'll have the words, but they won't mean very much. And Cardinal Marx was really very impressive on that. Uh, Also giving great hope, and it's great because also he's one of the advisors that Pope Francis has drawn together to help him reform the church. But Cardinal Marx had this great line that the gospel is an enlightenment document. It is a commitment to freedom, to liberation from what oppresses humanity. So there is the admission on the Cardinal's part that freedom, liberty, which is at the heart of the gospel message, is not always realized in the church and that that needs to be addressed, made articulate, and then worked on. And so there's great hope there. When somebody at that level is not being defensive, a question he was asked in the, in the group yesterday, you know, what about the church itself? It's got all of these problems. And they were listed, and the cardinal's response was? I agree. I agree. 
So hope for the time ahead and good luck with your journey back to um, Britain, no well, longer member of the EU. Well, it still has to go through the process of withdrawing. You know, it'll be couple, it will be a couple of years. They won't have another referendum like we do here to get the right result. Yeah, But there is a fascinating phenomenon also that is worth commenting on. I mean, sovereignty in Britain is sovereignty of parliament. And it has been parliamentary decisions that have brought the United Kingdom more and more into, into the European Union through the various treaties and so on. But somehow or other, with the holding of the referendum, the rhetoric is shifting from thinking of Parliament as sovereign to thinking of the people as sovereign. And it's referred back to the people, and now pe- the language being used is the people have decided. So there's a shift taking place here in British political culture uh, from being the sovereignty of Parliament to the sovereignty of the people. The sovereignty of the people is Republican language. This is the language of Rousseau, and it's the language of our own Republican tradition. So it's fascinating to see how the British political culture is, as it were, undergoing this revolution. Will that continue? I can't imagine that the people, once it has got a taste for direct participation through referenda, will will be satisfied now to sit back and allow Parliament to get on and rule them, as has been the case before.